HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In The Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Talia Ralph. We're here broadcasting live from Roberta's every Monday to bring you all the best in words about food. Summer's here, even though it's a little rainy in New York today. Um, And with it comes the bounty of fresh fruits and vegetables that make this short-lived season one of our collective favorites as eaters and cooks. Um, It's only fitting that today we're talking to the queen of organic produce herself, Myra Goodman. She's the co-founder of Earthbound Organics. She and her husband, Drew, founded their farm on two and a half acres and grew it into the largest organic produce grower in North America. In addition to being an organic farmer and business owner, Myra is the author of three cookbooks, Food to Live By, The Earthbound Cook, and her latest, which we're chatting about today, Straight from the Earth, Irresistible Vegan Recipes for Everyone, which, of course, puts fruits and vegetables center stage. Thanks so much for being with us, Myra. Thanks for having me. Of course. So as a pioneer of the organics movement in America, it's almost surprising we haven't seen a vegetable-centered cookbook from you already. You've done two, but um, this is your first vegan cookbook. And so I'm wondering what inspired you to take the leap and really focused on focus on fruits and vegetables. Well, you know, my first two cookbooks had a lot of produce, but they also did have a lot of meat and dairy products. And I think what it is is that over the 30 years since we started Earthbound Farm, I've been a really passionate advocate of organic food and farming because it's so healthy for people, for the planet, and, you know, for the surrounding wildlife. And as I really learned what a big positive impact it has for us to eat lower on the food chain, eat less products from animals and, and more products straight from the earth, right from plants. I, I really felt like it was important to become part of the plant-based food revolution as well as the organic food revolution. Definitely. And I um, want to get into that with you, sort of the the 
environmental cost of, of eating meat versus um, straight from the earth, like he said in the title of the book. Um, but I also love that the book is really about sort of the mother-daughter relationship. You co-wrote this with your daughter, Maria, um, and you sort of credit her with shaking up some recipes and pushing you to be less traditional about food. Um, I love your mention of the eccentric Caesar salad recipe, um, which includes cashews and curry powder. Um, but I'm wondering if you could sort of talk a little bit about um, that relationship between you and Maria um, as it plays out in the recipes. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, her pronoun- it's, we've kind of made up the name. Her name is Maria. We <laughs> named her after the island in Tahiti where we honeymooned. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, but we spell it a little differently. So, so, um, so my daughter right now, Maria, she's 24. She's, she's on her way to becoming a midwife. Nice. And um, but but we wrote this when she together when she was 22, right after she graduated college, and and what happened was I always um, actually my second cookbook, The Earthbound Cook, is really about like clean eating and and reducing our carbon footprint with what with our food choices and how we prepare foods. And one of the guys who helped me with all the environmental research became a vegan while he did the research because he said he felt like he couldn't say he was an environmentalist and continue to eat animal products. You know, and he urged me for my next book to be vegan, and I was like, I'm not a vegan. I don't, I don't see writing a vegan cookbook. But my daughter, while she was in college, lived in this vegetarian co-op, and all the communal meals were vegan, and she signed up to cook dinner for 60 people every Sunday night. And so for a whole year, she was doing these amazing multi-course vegan meals, and I was infatuated with it. I would call her Saturday and say, what are you cooking tomorrow? And I'd call her on Monday. How did it go over, you know? Let me hear the details. And so, we, you know, during these conversations, we just had this idea, hey, you know, you've got so many great ideas. I, I'm starting to notice more and more of the food I love is vegan. Let's do this book together. And then when you graduate, you know you'll have a job. We're going we're gonna to start it right when you graduate. And um, it was... It was a really interesting process. I have to admit that at first there was a lot of conflict because we had never really worked together, collaborated together, and we had some of the old mother-daughter patterns that I think every mother-daughter has. But, but we really learned to respect each other's styles, and our mantra was just because she doesn't do it my way doesn't mean it's the wrong way. <laughs> and, you know, and I started appreciating her creativity, and she started to appreciate my professionalism. So it, was, it ended up being great for our relationship. That's really nice, and, and yes, definitely a universal truth, I think, with mothers and daughters, even if we don't all turn into, you know, these cookbook powerhouse teams. But um, I'm wondering if you could sort of talk about um, the recipes in the book and, and where you see maybe your influence and her influence um, creeping in, because they are um, really inventive. Um, just flipping through them, there's a lot of things that I'm like, huh, you know, I've never thought of that. But um, it's oh, a greater interesting twist. So um, yeah, and I bet you see Maria's recipes have a little bit more of the interesting twist, like the, the eccentric Caesar that you mentioned. Should we, we wanted to do a vegan Caesar. We actually, there's a fabulous Caesar at, there's, there's, a, there's a restaurant in Berkeley called Cafe Gratitude, this really wonderful vegan restaurant, and they did an amazing vegan Caesar. And so what one of Maria's, you know, she, she took on creating a vegan Caesar, and um, what she did, because she really just is not someone who feels like she has to follow convention, um, she, she was just trying to get the dressing just right, and she ended up adding curry powder to it. 
and it tasted delicious, but, you know, I was like, honey, we really can't call a salad with curry powder a Caesar salad because that, that's really a classic flavor. And, and then we realized that if we qualified it with the adjective eccentric, we could do it. You know, so she, she just had so, so many different, she would just sort of try anything. And she wasn't afraid to mix up her spices and mix up her herbs. And she came up with some fabulous recipes. For sure. And so when you guys were sort of going back and forth or, as you said, you know, working out those kinks at the beginning, did you have any mediators? Did your husband step in? Did you have sort of a third party um, sort of mediating oh, both so of your influence? funny that you asked that because we actually did do like a, a, a session with this sort of life coach spiritual healer person you know we did because we were finding that there was a lot of conflict and in the very beginning and we felt like we wanted to access the magic of the mother-daughter team not the conflict of the mother-daughter team and that that mantra that i was saying just because it's not it's not my way doesn't mean it's the wrong way we had a lot of those that came from that one day session and it really it really turned the corner for us you know we really learned how to communicate with each other a lot better one one thing that i learned that was really interesting is over my 30 years in the produce business when i first when we started earthbound farm in the whole Salinas Valley Ag, there were no female executives. Every board meeting we went to, I was the only woman. And I felt, I think, a lot of pressure to be very professional and represent my gender professionally and show that we're, we can be just as smart and just as competent. And um, so what was interesting is I kind of brought that professional woman personality to this project like I did to all my work projects. And my daughter didn't like that person, you know, and it was it was an interesting interesting thing for me to access a different part of me, I think a more emotional, more honest part of me, you know, things that you couldn't say in the boardroom, like, I feel hurt that you're not, you know, spending enough time on this project, you know, that that was the kind of words that I had to use that my daughter could really hear. So it, it was a really fascinating interpersonal experience. I'm sure, yeah. And to your credit, I think that does come across through the recipes. Again, just leafing through them and seeing that. I mean, it really does feel like it's coming from a home and from a, a natural place. And also this very you know, honest collaboration between maybe two generations of women or feminism or however you want to put it. Um, it's really interesting to sort of see that come out in recipes because you wouldn't, <laughs> you know, recipes are not the first place that we usually look for. Um, new wave feminism or anything like that, but I think you yeah. guys made it oh, happen. Um, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you. No. Um, no, I appreciate that because I really feel that when, when I look at the book, I, I just am really happy with it. I feel that we really did accomplish this joyful collaboration and you know, the, the head notes tell the story, you know, lots of stories of our families. And I don't know if you had a chance to read in the introduction Maria's little essay about growing up on the farm and how she how she learned to cook. And I, I feel like what we created is a really special family heirloom. And, and, you know, what's kind of interesting is that my husband's, I grew up on, I grew up in Brooklyn. I, I was born in Brooklyn and I grew up on TV dinners. My, my mom, who's from Hungary, totally bought into 
America convenience foods and uses the way to feed your kid a well-balanced meal that they'd love. And my husband came from Buffalo, and all his family recipes are meat. They're all meat. My first cookbook has a lot of meat recipes. And so the recipes that we've passed down from generations to our family are all meat-centered. And as we are trying to have much more of a plant, primarily a plant-based diet, I feel like now Maria and I have created these recipes that can get passed down to future generations that are that are healthy and that are straight from the earth. Definitely. And so I, I would love to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of the, the vegan cooking aspect of the book. Um, and so obviously one of the things that vegans are constantly doing is, is looking for things to replace or substitute animal products and recipes, you know, like a Caesar salad or um, baked goods, etc. So wondering what were some of your, your go-to swap-ins, you know, banana instead of egg or um, sort of ingredients that you were really finding made great um, replacers or sub-ins, you know, I don't even know if that's a, yeah, a no, fair no, word. No, 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 I know what you mean. The first thing that comes to mind, it was really interesting. Vegan baking really intimidated me at first, and, and I thought that I was going to have to, you know, beg Marie to do all the baking recipes. And then <laughs> vegan baking became the, my, like, I still, even even though I do eat eggs, I still don't use them when I bake now. I just go to my vegan baking recipes because what, what we substitute for eggs is is basically either flaxseed or chia seed mixed with a liquid. So the flaxseed always have to be ground. I mean, even when you eat flaxseed, they need to be ground. For, otherwise, they just kind of pass through your body pretty much. Um, and so when you grind them, they, they have, and you mix them with liquid, they get gelatinous and they will, and they will hold, they will be a binder like an egg. And, um, and chia seeds actually work either ground or whole because chia seeds absorb so much liquid and they get kind of rubbery. So, um, in my, in my very chocolatey chocolate brownies, which I think is, you know, really one of the best recipes, and everyone who tastes them thinks that they are better than any brownie that they've ever tasted. And what we use there um, instead of egg is ground chia seeds mixed with coffee as the liquid. So you get that nice little coffee flavor to complement the chocolate. And another substitution that we use in, in that recipe that I use on a lot of my recipes is we use coconut oil instead of butter. And coconut oil just has that wonderful mouthfeel. It makes your baked goods really buttery, and it gives you that, you know, or crispy. If it's a cookie, it'll make it crispy. And it's just such a perfect substitute for butter. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That coffee chia seed trick is great. My mom actually makes a chocolate cake that is not vegan but has coffee in it. And so I know that 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 definitely sounds like a a magic ingredient. Um, You know, and some things I realize, like um, our family loves latkes, the potato pancakes, and um, I just eliminated the egg. I just, you know, my first trial, I just made exactly the same recipe I always made, but just didn't put in the egg. And it, it was exactly the same. It was perfect. I realized you really didn't need the egg. Nobody notices if the egg's eliminated. So, so that, that was an interesting thing, too, is that sometimes you can just eliminate the animal product and you don't even notice. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned also in the introduction of the book that I thought was interesting was that... Um, vegan food stays fresh longer than animal products. And I'm wondering um, if you could sort of explain why that is. And also if you've seen less waste in your household as a result of, you know, becoming more vegan in your cooking and shopping. 
Yeah, because I think that a lot of people, a lot of people say that cooking vegan food is more time consuming. You know, it's more time consuming if you want to make fresh beans to soak your beans and cook your beans versus just get a piece of fish and throw it on the grill or whatever. But what, you know, what, what I say to counter that is that vegan food stays fresh so much longer than food with animal products. Like the longest that I will give when I cook something with meat or chicken or fish, after three days I feel like it's it's done. So if we haven't finished it, you know, it, 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 it's garbage. Whereas vegan food will stay fresh at least, you know, re- and, and taste good and have, you know, perfect flavor at least five days, if not seven days, so that you're getting, you can make bigger batches of food and have it stay fresh longer and have less food waste. So when you think about how many more resources it takes, like, like estimates vary between 10 and 20 pounds of grain to make one pound of meat. And then, I mean, people talk about how it takes as much water to make a pound of meat as it does that, you know, you use for half a year to take your showers. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of resource goes into producing meat. And when you think about if you end up throwing out a portion of your meat um, because you didn't get around to eating it while it was fresh, uh, compared to eating food straight from the earth that uses a lot less resources that stays fresh longer and there's less waste, just the, the ecology of that is so obvious. For sure. And we're going to um, definitely get more into that after this quick break. Um, we're talking with Myra Goodman, the co-founder of Earthbound Farms and the co-author of Straight from the Earth, Vegan Recipes for Everyone. This is Eat Your Words, and we'll be right back live on Heritage Radio with more. program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast Regional Forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Talia Ralph, and today we have the pleasure of talking with Myra Goodman of Earthbound Farms about the vegan cookbook she authored with her daughter, Maria, Straight from the Earth. Thanks for being here, Myra. Thanks for having me. So um, to get into sort of the, the nitty-gritty of this, um, you know, vegan versus meat-eating debate, um, there's been a surge of literature lately talking um, about the fact that more saturated fat might actually be good for us. I actually had a guest, um, Nina Teicholz, a few weeks ago that just released a book, The Big Fat Surprise, and um, she argues pretty uh, convincingly for eating you know, animal products, dairy, meat, eggs. Um, so I'm wondering what you think about that evidence and um, how you sort of go back and forth between the vegan lifestyle and um, these arguments for animal products. 
You know, it, it is really confusing because I've been reading a lot of the books that are out now, like Clean and Mark Hyman's Detox Solution, and so so many of these of these you know, really, really brilliant doctors that have done such good work really do advocate more of that paleo diet that you are eating meats um, and you're really reducing your grains, which is very contrary to to vegan. So, so you know, it, it is it is confusing. I do I do want to say though that like when we were talking we were talking about coconut oil, it does people used to stay away from it because it does have saturated fat. Um, so you can get saturated fat. In, um, in, in a vegan diet. And, and I think that a lot of the talk about the importance of fat is that when America did this shift, you know, with low-fat, high-carb foods, that's when we started to get more unhealthy and have more weight gain. Um, so, so, so I think embracing fats is a little bit of a reaction to that. You know what? You know, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a dietitian, but, but I, I, I do, I do follow it. And I, I think that you know, one of the things that I, I feel is really common in terms of a, of a lot of these different food movements is that when we cut out eating so much sugar and so much processed foods and so much kind of wheat and the different and the different grains that we eat so much of in our diet that we're not getting in a whole form, we just feel so much better. And, and I think that that is kind of a grain of truth, you know, throughout what a lot of people are talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's correct to say that you and Maria are both not actually vegan. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, we're both, we're both omnivores. And I do, I do think when you're, when you're talking about the health benefits of eating animal products, I really think that what, what I hear from a lot of those professionals is, Let's eat grass-fed meats because you know those those meats have a much different nutritional profile than corn-fed meats. And let's eat organic dairy products because they don't have the hormones and they don't have the antibiotics. So, so I think that if you are going to be eating animal products and you choose ones that are raised humanely and are raised more, you know, eating eating food that these animals were meant to eat. And not, you know, dairy cows that are pumped full of all of these chemicals. I think that is a big improvement both for, you know, hum- you know, how these animals are raised, the health of these products for our body. And it does improve the impact on the planet, even though, you know, it still is more resource intensive than a, a more plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And in the book, which makes a lot of sense, you sort of equate this growing enthusiasm for veganism, and I think we could even extend that to what you're talking about, sort of grass-fed, hormone-free, more organic um, animal products to the organics movement and sort of the the way that that grew and took shape. Um, And I'm wondering if you can talk a bit more about that parallel between the two movements and um, if you see this really being adaptable on a large scale in the same way that, you know, Earthbound Farms has gone from being a small farm to being the leading producer of organics in this country. Um, if you could just sort of expand on that comparison. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think when Drew and I started Earthbound Farm, it was 80, 1984, and, you know, we were pretty, people pretty much thought we were ridiculous. You know, they thought it was pretty ridiculous to 
you know, shun chemicals and everybody thought that it was wonder, you know, the green revolution and we're increasing yields and we're feeding the world and, you know, organic was considered really fringe. All the stores that sold organic were, you know, I think of the stores in Manhattan. I lived in Manhattan when I was a teenager, just these little teeny dark stores that had rice cakes and nutritional yeast and, and, you know, some shriveled apples and some wilted lettuce. And so organic was thought of as, as bad quality, as a sacrifice, as strange and as weird. You know, and now you look at organic, and if if a restaurant says puts organic vine ripened tomatoes or organic romaine or anything organic on the menu means highest quality and best taste and healthiest. You know, the whole image of it has completely shifted. And I think that it is so important for that to happen with the word vegan. I think that most people, when they hear the word vegan, they think of it as a kind of extremist movement and, you know, food that would be a huge sacrifice. And it's a club that they're not a member of that they're not really invited to, that they don't really want to join, you know? And so I think that's why, like, the subtitle of our book, Irresistible Vegan Recipes for Everyone, is every time you're going to get a lot more people eating vegan food than you're going to get people becoming 100% vegan. And we don't want vegan to be an exclusive club. We want everyone to eat as much plant-based foods as as possible. And so, so it's kind of this open arms welcome to vegan and trying to break the negative stereotypes so that it can have that change like organic. And I think you see it. If you go to Amazon and you look at the vegan cookbooks, they are selling so well. I think so many people are really starting to see the the benefits of eating vegan food. Right. And you actually had um, some omnivores, some very, you know, (laughs) meat centric omnivores test your recipes and I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit of their reaction and also the response you've been getting both from the vegan community and for you know this new audience that you are you know looking to bring into this way of eating without necessarily converting their entire diet what what have the reactions Right. Well, it's, it's interesting. So my husband was a great, kind of the closest example, and um, he has a great palate, and he's helped me with all my cookbooks. He, he's my secret weapon in, in all the recipes that I develop, and when we decided to do a vegan cookbook, he was kind of dreading it because he is someone who really does like a piece of meat or a piece of chicken as a big part of his dinner, especially every night, and he thought that he would be hungry and frustrated and bored with with what we were cooking and he loved these recipes they're all they're all recipes that he loved and what was really surprising is he found that the more vegan food he ate the less he craved meat and he thought the opposite would be true that after you know one or two or three days of eating vegan he was going to have to go out and get a huge piece of steak but he was finding that his body started really feeling healthier and really enjoying the vegan food. And then there was also, there was a professional recipe tester that, that I hired to test all our recipes before it went to print just to make sure there were no mistakes that got past me and Maria. And her husband is Irish, and she said that any meal that doesn't have meat, he doesn't think of it as a full meal. And she was cooking these recipes for him, and he loved all of them and couldn't believe it and was satisfied. So, so that's why we're kind of, we, we consider all these recipes omnivore or carnivore tested and approved recipes. 
Mm-hmm. And um, shifting gears a little bit, um, you include a few, I think, pretty unconventional pieces of information in this book for, you know, cookbooks as a format. Um, in an ideal world, I feel like they should almost be standard. One is the nutritional information of all your recipes, which you put, you know, right there on the opening pages. Um, and the other is um, more of a resource, but it's a chart of the greenhouse gas emissions for, um, you know, major foods that we consume in um, this country and obviously animal products take the cake and in, in terms of, you know, creating um, those emissions. And so I'm wondering if you could discuss the decision to include those two um, pieces of information, if that was a tough choice at all, if it felt really natural to sort of show that side of food. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because my first two books, I, I had a different publisher and they were, they didn't want me to include the nutritionals because they really felt that they didn't want people worrying about calories and fat and sodium when they cook. They just wanted to enjoy it. Um, this, this cookbook I, di- I, I did with Chronicle and they were supportive of my decision to include the nutritionals. And the, and the reason why I really wanted to, especially for a vegan cookbook, is because I think there is a huge misconception out there that protein equals an animal product and calcium equals a dairy product and that we are not going to get enough protein and calcium in our diet just from from plants. And it's just really not true. And the, when I ran a few nutritionals of recipes that I thought would be incredibly nutritious, and I thought I would run it just to mention some highlights in the head notes, I started realizing that I couldn't even possibly list all the vitamins and minerals that some of these recipes were high in because there were so many of them. And I was just so surprised at how nutrient-dense this vegan food was. So I really included it for people to, to see that. Like a split pea soup, a very modest size serving is 23 grams of protein. That's so much protein, you know? So I think, I think we, I, I really wanted to, to reassure people and break stereotypes and get them excited about the nutrients. Um, and then, and then with the, with the life cycle, um, greenhouse gas emissions, that, that was a study that the environmental working group did, EWG, to, to really let people know so that they, they could really see the huge difference of when they eat plant-based foods versus animal-based foods in terms of the global warming gas emissions. And I thought that that would also inspire people when they see what a, you know, teeny weeny weeny fraction of resources it uses to, to produce a meal, say that, you know, it's, it's lentil-based protein versus beef. And, and the chart is, is, is really enlightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think it's just something to think about whether you are making the decision to go full vegan or even just make, you know, a meatless Monday type alteration to your diet or, you know, cooking more of these recipes as opposed to, you know, making animal protein the center of every diet. So I appreciate you guys for including those. Um, we're almost out of time, but just one last question um, about sort of this, the staple crops and ingredients in a lot of vegan recipes happen to be, you know, soy, um, corn, wheat. Um, and as we know, um, the vast majority of those crops in America are genetically modified at this point and unlabeled. And so I'm wondering, you know, as an organic 
pioneer and um, champion how you sort of account for that um, working these ingredients into these recipes without any way for us to really know <laughs> if they're yeah. organic or not. I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, organic, one of the things that I think isn't mentioned enough in this GMO labeling debate is that all all GMOs are always prohibited in all organic foods. So if you choose organic corn or organic soy or organic wheat, you know that there were no genetically modified um, products used either, you know, on the farm or in the processing. So I, I think that it's really great that consumers are becoming much more aware of what a huge percentage of the food in this country is genetically modified. And, and I think that labeling is fabulous, and I think it's really important. Um, but what people can do right now is they can choose organic, and they can be sure that there's no genetically modified products in organic food. Well, on that note, we're unfortunately out of time. This has been such a great conversation. Um, Myra Goodman, the author of Straight from the Earth and the co-founder of Earthbound Organics, thank you so much for being with us. This has been another episode of Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Talia Ralph, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.